Uh, Heavenly Father, we ask for the spirit of life in our midst this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would make uh, life out of chaos. Like you did at the beginning, that you would speak life into existence. Uh, We pray, Lord, that uh, your life and your praise would spring up uh, from every corner of our world. In Jesus' name, everybody says... We should probably warm up. It's felt, it's felt a little sedate in here this morning. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, we were later than usual getting in through the door. Um, if you were here on time, huge brownie points in heaven this morning. Congratulations. Uh, if you're not here on time, you know there's grace for you, but I'm going to make you do lengthy warm-ups as a result. Right. So here's the first thing we're going to do. Uh, we're going to do uh, a three-minute drill. A three-minute drill. Uh, we used to do these a long time ago. Uh, at Blue Water. We haven't done one in a while. So we're going to take three minutes. You're going to stand up and you're going to talk to people for three minutes. I'm just going to let that sink in for a moment. You're going to talk to people for three minutes. Come on. Let's hear from the extroverts. Let's hear from the introverts. Yeah, that's about what I thought. That's about what I thought. Introverts, unite for a little while. Then you go home and be quiet. Um, So we're going to talk to people for three minutes, but this is the drill. The drill is you can't talk to anybody you know. Yeah, you have to find people you don't know, and for three minutes, you have to talk to them. And this is what you're going to do. You're going to ask them, hey, what's God been saying to you recently? And if the answer is, wow, gosh, you know, I don't know that I've ever heard from God, or I don't know uh, that I've heard anything from God uh, recently, then you're going to just give them an encouragement. Well, here's something that God's always saying, uh, and I just want to encourage you to know that, or something like that. And then, if the person doesn't have an ohana group, you're going to invite that person to your ohana group. Got it? How many of you are in an ohana group weekly? All right, so that's about 60% or so. So if you find, if you are fortunate enough to find somebody who's not in an ohana group, you're going to invite them. All right, you got it? Three minutes. And go! All right! Yay! Give yourself a hand. Find your way back to your seat. Or sit down next to your new friend. Beautiful. Uh, For how many people was that an okay exercise? Yeah. What was the word I used to describe it? An, an exercise? Yeah, it, w- it was a drill, right? It was something that we did to get something important done, uh, which was to meet new people and to ask them uh, interesting, uh, helpful questions and to invite them uh, to, to Ohana uh, gatherings. Uh, you ask that question, perhaps, hey, what's God saying to you recently? How many of you had an answer? that question. What's God been saying to you recently? Really? So that's like, that's like 15%, which is way too low. All right, so we're going to do another drill. This is going to be the 60-second drill. Are you with me? Yeah. All right. For 60 seconds, we're going to take, take one big breath. We're going to relax. And we're going to listen to God for 60 seconds. That's all we're going to do. 
you're going to sit there in your blue chair, and you're going to listen to God for 60 seconds. You're going to give God a minute to say something to you. We're going to see if you speak something. Just pay attention to special thoughts that come into your head. Uh, maybe some of you will see something crisply or feel or hear something crisply. But we're just going to do this for 60 seconds. And you know what? He's the God who speaks. I'm pretty sure a lot of you will hear something. All right. One, two, three. Breathe. And listen for 60 seconds. Go. Speak, Lord. Your family's listening. And amen. How many of you uh, think you heard something from the Lord there? Yeah, so that's more like a quarter or a third. Uh, not bad uh, for a 60-second drill. Uh, Craig said he has a 90-second testimony. This is yours and not Hoku's. Stand up here. Uh, this is not an invitation to bring your dog to service. I think that Hoku came for healing today, if I'm not mistaken because she's had a leg injury. We'll take care of that at the end. So 90-second um, testimony, I've, I do a lot of coaching and consulting, and one of the things I've been doing is um, talking to my clients that have actually sought me out because they said, well, you have a Christian background. We want to hire you. So in the midst of that, uh, my clients always come to me with really tough questions. So what I started doing recently was I started asking them, um, so what do you think... God has for you today. So these and are business clients or business, education clients? Or corporate clients. Okay. Um, and they would just pause and they would just listen. And God would start speaking. And I've had a couple clients that um, they say something, they, like, I think I have this impression of, of this. And for example, one person, I've been working with her for a year and we haven't had a, me a mega breakthrough, but She's like, I feel like the roof is like closing down on me. And um, that's kind of what she was describing with um, her corporate um, environment that she was working in. And I said, all right, let's ask God. God, what is this roof, this reoccurring dream that you're having doing? And then she gets a picture of um, a paintbrush, like taking a paintbrush and touching it to water. And she touches it to water. I mean, she sees the picture. And basically, when you touch a paintbrush to a piece of paper with water, it just kind of the colors go all over the place. It's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So I asked her, so let's ask God, what is, what is this um, taking the paintbrush and touching to water mean? 
And then she just started weeping. And she says, God took that paintbrush and it touched his heart. And then she just, just the floodgates of God just started flowing over her. We're in the middle of a restaurant downtown and she's just feeling God's presence. And that's just how beautiful it is just to hear God speak and talk to you. Another client, I was doing the same thing. And uh, you're 90 seconds, right? Oh, yeah. All right. Done. Done. Well done. So to summarize that, uh, Craig's getting uh, consulting work in the corporate world precisely because he has a spiritual reputation, and he's going into corporate environments and, <laughs> and just saying, well, let's listen to see what God's saying to you right now. How's that for consulting? Uh, and... Uh, Evidently, uh, it's working. His clients are finding a lot of value in it. Well, those exercises might not seem like much in the way of a sermon, uh, but um, oftentimes in the life of faith, it, it's, not about, it's not about teaching stuff. It's about practicing the stuff that we know, right? Uh, and really, when we come together, a big part of the blessing that we bring for one another is this encouragement to follow through on the things that we already know to do. And that, I think, is, is a huge key to life. And it's certainly one of the big keys to the life of faith. Uh, we have a saying we've used a lot recently, discipleship is follow through. And sometimes you have to practice Sometimes you just have to make a point to apply what you know to be true. To not leave it up here, but to get it uh, out here. So we practice together, and I hope it's encouraging. It snaps if it encouraged you. Eight of you are blessed. I will take that any day. We've been doing this sermon series on the Bible, but not just like a piece of the Bible. We've been uh, taking a look at the Bible at 30,000 feet, trying to uh, understand the Bible and its whole arc in, to get the whole picture of the Bible, is once you understand it in context, then it's easier to kind of drill down to specifics and understand any particular book that you read or verse uh, that you read. Uh, we took a look at the beginning, the book of Genesis, uh, and we learned that even at the very beginning, the oldest stories that humanity can remember involve God and involve God's purpose for humanity and humanity's problem with following God. And the purpose is that we are meant to be fruitful, creative, and meaningful like God is. At the very beginning, we learned that about ourselves, but we had a problem. We believed that God existed, but we did not trust God to be good. We did not trust God. And that really explains uh, the bulk of the arc of the story. Since then, we're trying to develop trust in God. That's why the world looks like it looks. That's why the life of faith has the character that it has. And, and then toward the, the end of the book of Genesis, uh, we get the story of Abraham, which is our introduction to the life of faith. Faith is a call into a journey, a journey into uncertainty. Uh, then we come to the, the book of Exodus, which is really uh, a story of God setting his people free. In the story, he's literally setting his people free from slavery. But what the story teaches, before you get very long into it, is that uh, it's relatively easy to free someone from oppressive circumstances, but it's relatively hard to free a people from a slave mentality. There's something about us that drifts into slave thinking a lot. 
So it's about the, the exodus, the journey from a slave mentality to a free mentality. As part of that story, God gives his people rules. He gives us the law, which are, are really rules meant to keep us free from things that suck us into slavery, that compromise and diminish us in terms of our freedom and the purpose that we have in the world, which is always a huge priority uh, with God. So that's the function of the law, to keep us free and purposeful in the world. But right at the heart of the law is the sacrificial system. Like when you screw up, and it's like that. It's not like if you screw up. It's like when you screw up, uh, right at the heart of the law are these mechanisms that you can participate in to reassure yourself that you are forgiven from God and you get a do-over. And do-overs are really important to having a free mentality and a life of purpose in the world. And then in the, in the middle of that sacrificial system, we get some promises and some predictions, some prophecies about the great sacrifice of grace that would come. The the promised Messiah. God himself will provide the ram for the sacrifice, the lamb for the sacrifice, Abraham said. Well, then there are a bunch of histories in the Bible about God's people entering into their promised land, entering into their promise, entering into their purpose, and about what it takes to live in promise. And to sum it all up, it takes a lot of fighting. It takes a lot of fighting. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of struggle. You decide who you are in the midst of struggle. When you have no struggle, when life is easy, you tend to forget who you are. And that's the up and down story of the histories of the Old Testament, all the historical books, the Chronicles and, and the Kings and, and uh, Joshua and Judges, uh, all of those books. Uh, then last week we talked about the chunk of the Bible that we call the prophetic books. They sort of inserted after the histories, though there is a a chronological uh, overlap. Uh, the prophetic books in the Bible are messages, they're, they're records of messages that God gave to certain individuals to relay to his people, sometimes to relay to people in a particular area or into a particular city. But what we learn from the prophetic books, in addition to the stuff that God is communicating to his people, is the fact that God does communicate to his people, but God communicates in a way that leaves a lot of room for faith, right? He doesn't just show up and hand you an essay to read. He speaks in a way that is kind of subtle. He always speaks to you in a way that takes faith to believe. He doesn't make it quite obvious. He is the God who speaks, but to hear him, we must have faith. We must believe that we have actually heard from God. And then, of course, follow through on what we hear. There's always space for faith, for a leap of faith in anything that, that God does. Uh, so listen, but listen with faith. And then when you think you hear something, follow through on it uh, in faith. And today, uh, we're going to take a look at another uh, few books of the Bible, a couple in particular, that have to do with, well, they came about because the people of God started putting some things together about what it takes to live the life of faith with God. Uh, we're going to take a look uh, particularly at, uh, at the Psalms, um, and we're going to take a look at uh, Proverbs uh, in the Bible. I'll say it again to start. I'll say something that I often say. I just can't stand a wasted life. I just can't stand it when people waste their lives, when people don't have 
purpose in their life. That, to me, seems like a horrible tragedy uh, because God created us for purpose, and I think no one gets fulfilled unless they move in their purpose in life. Uh, There's the life of purpose and faith, which is the life that we preach, the life that the Bible teaches us to pursue. Of course, uh, there are lives of purpose and fear, which is not what we preach and not what the Bible teaches. A lot of people out there in the world are pursuing things purposely, but they're pursuing things out of fear. For instance, they're pursuing material security or they're pursuing reputational security or something like that. There's also lives of, that have no purpose and have a lot of fear, and those are terrible. And maybe some of you have arrived at Blue Water with that life. I don't know what I'm doing, and I just feel anxious all the time. Anybody ever been there? Well, the life of faith is the antidote to that. The fact is that God has a, a big purpose for you, a big God-given purpose, a BGP, we tend to call it uh, around here. Um, and what you need to do is to v- develop a pathway to that purpose, right? Faith is a journey. We partner with God to get things done in the world. Jesus never calls anyone except that he calls that person to a purpose, What you need to do is to figure out what that purpose is. And then you need to develop a vision for what that purpose is going to look like in your life. And then, and then, you need to develop some tools to implement that vision in your life. You need to develop some methods, some routines, perhaps some skills. You know what I mean by tools? You have to implement in a practical sort of way. You can't just live it up here. You have to get it out there, which means you have to exercise uh, practically. You have to develop some good ways to do things. Everybody say that with me. Good ways to do things. Not a fancy phrase. Uh, In the corporate world, sometimes people talk about best practices. Best practices. In the medical world, sometimes you hear about best practices of care. If somebody comes to you with a certain condition, uh, you could go at it a number of different ways, but what's the best way to go about it? What's the best practice for a given challenge? Um, And uh, in the life of faith, we need to develop our best practices, um, our methods, our skills, our tools. The thing about tools is that they're negotiable, but they are critical, right? You don't have to listen to God by sitting in church for one minute, being quiet, and letting the Lord speak to you at that moment. That's not how you have to do it. But you have to have some way of doing it. Some way that you do routinely. You have to have your own best practice. Do you understand? That's what what we're talking about. Uh, If you don't listen for God, then God speaking doesn't help you. If you don't invite people to your Ohana group, if you don't invite people to church, if you don't invite people into your life, then the message that God has given you, the calling on your life, won't be very fruitful in the world. You actually have to follow through on invitations, right? You don't have to do it in a three-minute drill at church, but you need some way to invite people into the life that you're living. You need a practice for it. Otherwise, no matter how much purpose you have in your life, you'll be stuck in spin, you just feel like you're going around and around uh, in circles. If you don't have methods for moving forward, you just stay stuck in spin. 
uh, for your whole life. So these are mean, there are meaningful, practical questions out there when it comes to living out your purpose. How are you going to learn that new skill that you need to learn? Uh, maybe it's mundane. Uh, you need to get fit. You need to drop a few pounds. Great. How are you going to do it? What is going to be your practice for getting it done? Uh, how are you going to finish that project? How are you going to write that book that is on your heart to write? Uh, question I wrestle with every week. Um, how are you going to get that relationship that you want? How are you going to improve the relationship that you have? What practice are you going to use? What are you going to stick with? How are you going to follow through? You're never going to be happy unless you practice joy. One of my personal proverbs. You're never going to really trust God unless you take risks in a routine sort of way. Uh, we could go on and on. Life, is, life often boils down to having a way of practice, a way of practice. It's a simple notion, but it's a key to life. I could talk all day uh, about that, but regarding the Ark of the Bible and our topic for today, the people of God in the story of the people of God eventually started developing a, a culture for living the life of faith. They started to learn some things along the way. They started to develop some tricks of the trade, some rules of the road, if you were. And they, they realized uh, that, that there were some best practices out there for them to, to stay on target and to be the people of faith and the people of God that they wanted to be. And I think that's the best way to understand the books of the Bible that that we call Psalms and Proverbs. Uh, the Psalms, uh, you guys ever read the book of Psalms? The book of Psalms in the Bible, Ron, it's right in the middle of the Bible. Anybody actually have an old Bible? Like a hard copy Bible with like paper and pages and stuff like that? that? There you go. If you open it pretty much dead center, you'll probably hit Psalms and Proverbs. How'd you do? What? Isaiah. Well, you call yourself a Christian. There it is. All right. Right, right, about, right about in the middle of things, the Psalms. The Psalms, uh, there are 150 Psalms in the book of Psalms. And what it is, it's 150 songs that people wrote. Uh, uh, and they were the greatest hits of the Old Testament times. Uh, some were written by David. Uh, there's at least one in there written by Moses. Uh, there are a lot in there written by um, worship leaders that ministered uh, in the temple, band leaders, and they would write, uh, they would write songs. They write new songs all the time, and so they had, they had a, a songbook, a collection of, uh, of songs that then they would sing for the, the church, so to speak. Um, they would sing for the people of God in various ways at different times. Some of them they would sing to the temple. They had songs for certain religious festivals. Uh, they had songs that pilgrims would sing when they came to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. As they would walk into the city, there were familiar songs that they would sing one to another. They were called songs of ascents, um, songs of climbing, in other words, because you would climb up the hill uh, to uh, Jerusalem. Um, Psalms, songs. And then the, the Proverbs are a collection of short sayings uh, about practical wisdom. 
uh, how to get things done in life. Uh, the, the Proverbs were maybe, probably collected uh, by King Solomon, uh, a prominent figure in the histories of the Old Testament. Uh, not all written by him. Uh, there were some that clearly written by King Solomon. He was a very wise guy, particular, particularly early in his career. Uh, but there's also a section called the Sayings of the Wise, which are just wise sayings that presumably Solomon collected because he really liked them. And then at the end of the book of, of Proverbs, did I say Psalms? Proverbs, um, they're the Proverbs of a couple of guys called Agur and Lemuel, baby names uh, to keep in mind. Agur, Agur, A-G-U-R, come on. Um, this is a collection of, of wise sayings, a collection of fortune cookie sayings, except really, really good ones uh, that are actually helpful. Here's the thing about the book of, of Psalms, about the music book, and the book of Proverbs, a collection of really good fortune cookie sayings. God didn't command his people to write down Proverbs. And God didn't command his people to write songs. He didn't command his people to put together a, a, a book of worship songs. He didn't do that. People did it because they found new songs and Proverbs really useful. They thought, man, these are great tools. These are some awesome practices for us to get together, to collect, and to do together. These are really helpful for us in being the people of God and living the life of faith. So that's why I call these books the books of best practices. You understand? People just found them really, really helpful. People have always found them helpful for, you know, the 3,500 years of, uh, of history of the tradition of the one true God that we have recorded uh, since uh, these things started being uh, written down. The Proverbs and the Psalms are God's people kind of developing a practical culture, developing uh, a style, right? They're not, they're not commandments, they're not rules, but they're really, they're really a good way to get something done. And we all have to have that in our life. We just have to have ways of getting things done. Things that fill that practical space uh, of life. Psalms and Proverbs are great culture builders. A lot of what we do uh, as Blue Water Mission is to build culture when we come together. We, did, we do those stupid warm-up drills I make you do embarrassing things and stuff like that. Uh, we sing songs, don't we? We have sayings around blue water. We have a certain style that kind of defines us as a group. All those things are negotiable. We could do it a different way, but we have a way that we do it, a way that we think is helpful. And we kind of build an identity and a culture in that fashion. Everybody needs a culture. Everybody needs a culture. It can't just be dry. You have to have a style. You have to have a way of going about doing things. Are you getting what I'm, I'm trying to say? Let me talk about psalms for just a minute. Uh, psalms, uh, the book of songs in, in the Bible. There are 150 of them. They range in themes and experiences. Some of the psalms are prophetic. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
on the day he was being executed, he quotes from Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, Which is a, a psalm that is just filled with messianic predictions. In that psalm, uh, basically it predicts that uh, the Holy One, that Christ, would be killed. It also predicts that he would not see decay, that he would come back to life before the body decayed. It, produ- it predicted that he would be killed by hanging on a tree, which is a phrase that when the psalm was written, nobody understood. But then the Romans used a crucifixion method of execution, and it made a ton of sense. It predicts that Romans, that, that surrounding uh, enemies would cast lots for the clothing of the Christ, and on and on and on. It predicts the circumstances of Christ's death with phenomenal accuracy across, you know, hundreds of intervening years, and it's a song. It's just a song uh, that, uh, that people sang uh, in David's time. There are some psalms that, again, like the songs of climbing, the songs of ascent, that are made, that were written for groups of pilgrims to sing together as they walked toward Jerusalem for the celebration of the Passover. They're kind of like rap songs in that sense, because they're kind of simple chants that you would chant as you walk together. My favorite of the Song of Ascents uh, is uh, from Psalm uh, 121. Um, I lift my eyes up to the mountains. Where does my help come from? One group would call out, and then the other group would respond. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Back to the first group. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. I'm sure it sounds better in Hebrew, but you get the idea. You know, you're kind of singing, you're affirming truth passionately to one another as you walk up uh, the hill. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over you in your life. Together the Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Let's just do that together. Chant that with me. The Lord will watch over your coming both now and forevermore. Your coming and going both now and forevermore. Say it with me. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Do you feel ascended? Okay, I, I, I conceive of it like rap. Maybe we need to do this thing. Okay, so let's try that. Ready? Everybody, do that. Now say it. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. Oh, yeah. See, now that makes a load of difference right there. A load of difference. It brings some attitude to the song, right? And, and I think that's, that's the key to so many, so many songs. They're really excuses for expressing an attitude, for rehearsing an attitude together. And faith is attitude. Your attitude is the most contagious thing about you. And music is just amazing at expressing attitude. Music is amazing at changing your attitude. If you're having a bad day, you turn on certain songs and it improves your attitude, right? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Psalm 22. What is that? Well, that's the blues, baby. That's the blues right there, you know? And what what is the point of singing the blues? It's not to be depressed, 
It's to find creativity in the midst of despair. It's to be human, which is creative, in the midst of despair. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's not a bad way to start a song. Hopefully not the way you're going to end it. Music is that, right? Music is just expressing attitude uh, together. Sometimes it's artist and audience, but these are songs for singing together, for singing on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem together, or singing in a church together in a temple service. That's why they're so stinking useful. On your program, you have an excerpt from Psalm 33, which I think, I don't know, I was just looking, there's so many psalms, I was just looking for a typical passage from, from the songbook. Psalm 33, 1 through 8. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise Him. Come on, celebrate! How would you respond to that if you were singing? Sing joyfully. There's only so many ways you can sing that line. Right? Sing joyfully to the Lord. I mean, Coldplay would suck at this psalm. <laughs> if you don't know who Coldplay is, never mind. But there's only so many ways you could, you could sing a song about singing joyfully, right? So automatically, there's a contagious attitude. Praise the Lord with the harp. Come on, give me a riff on the guitar. Lay it down. I should, I should have had Gary up here playing while I read that line. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre, which uh, is the, uh, clearly the electric guitar of its day. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. You know, be creative. Let me, let, me hear, let me hear your new thing. You know, play it out. This is just dripping with attitude. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. By the word of the Lord the heavens were made. Their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the people of the world revere him. There's only so many ways you can read that passage, right? You have to do it with breath. You have to do it with passage. That thing drips with attitude. And if you read the Psalms, you better read it with attitude, otherwise you're missing the point. And if we sing these things, these things if we sing together as a church, we better do it with attitude or we will find it stupid and ridiculous and a waste of time. But if you do it with attitude, if you chant it with attitude, if you do it with breath and expansiveness, or with dancing or with clapping, then that's a best practice. And something good is happening. So here's the thing about why it's a best practice. Um, no passion equals no strength. No passion equals no strength. In some of our uh, Blue Water retreats, we've talked about what we've called the discipleship path or sometimes the Blue Water path, which are like stages of development that people go through, not necessarily in a particular order. But, but in life, as we progress in the life of faith, we tend to kind of go like this. First, we're a seeker. You never really find God unless you seek. It's really hard, right? Even if God declares himself to you, you still need to seek the truth of, of his declarations. Then... Uh, if, you've, uh, if you've been successful as a seeker, you become a follower. 
And that's a huge transition in life. Some of you are here seeking today, checking out this God stuff for the first time. Well, the thing you want to be thinking about is, you know, I, I could spend my whole life as a seeker, as sort of a vague respecter of truth. But do I want to become a follower? Do I want to follow after God? Do I want to follow after Jesus? And when you make the decision to become a follower, that's a revolution in your life. Then you become a servant. Servanthood is where we learn to practice love. We start doing things to serve people. We get practical with it. It's not just what we believe. It's what we do with what we believe, which is to say it's whether or not we trust enough to make sacrifices for God and and for other people. Uh, And then I think you become a worshiper. Why is that on the path? Because if you don't learn to worship, which is to say, if you don't learn to rehearse passion in your life, then you will have no staying power in the life of faith. People who don't worship don't last long. Things get dry really quickly. If you have no passion, you don't last long. Songs are, are really vessels of passion, are they not? That's why they are best practices. You can't sing Psalm 33 without putting breath into it, without putting emotion into it. If you do, you look ridiculous, <laughs> you know? You can't sing the songs that we sing on Sunday without emotion. This is amazing grace. I mean, it, it's a little bit ridiculous to do that. So, you know, you clap, you move, you put some breath in it. At least you should. You should come on time. You should lend your heart to the proceedings. You shouldn't just go through the motion. You're missing out on a best practice. And what will happen is that you'll run out of stamina. You'll run out of strength. Things will get dry and you won't know why. It's because you've, not, you've got no practice of passion in your life. I mean, the same is true for a lot of, of relationships, right? No passion, no staying power. And you have to come up with ways to practice the passion. You'll have to come up with creative ways to do it. Of course, it doesn't have to be songs. It could be painting. It could be dancing. Um, it could be any number of the God encounters that the Keiki are doing in the Keiki ministry this morning. But it's got to be something. It's got to be something. Tools are negotiable, but you have to have some tool. Psalms. Um, so when we're, when we're worshiping together, you gotta, you got to make it personal. That's my takeaway point. Any creative expression is, is irresistibly personal. Passionate songs like we sing together, like the Psalms are in the Bible, uh, are easy to make personal. Even if your voice isn't very good, you can make it personal. Clap your hands. Raise your hands. Whatever. Everybody, let's practice. <clears throat> this, is a, this is an intense musical skill, so I want you to be ready. One, two, three. One, two, three. All right, let's, let's clap on two and four. It'd be hard for some of you Japanese people, but. One, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. 
Don't you, just, don't you just want to start singing when you do that? You're not going to say yes because you know I will call you up here and make you do it while people <laughs> clap uh, in rhythm. Okay, everybody try this. You know, raise your hands during worship. Ready? Here we go. Nobody pull a muscle or anything. I know this is hard because what we're doing is our, we're putting our heart into it. And Okay, shake it out. Shake it out. Shake it out. You don't, have, you don't have to dance like they do over on the side, but, you know, you can do something. Let's, let's just try one hand for those of you who are really cool, right? <laughs> it still works, people. It still works. When you do music, it's really easy to make it personal. It's really easy to put some passion if you just do it. And that's my invitation uh, and the takeaway point from that. Proverbs, uh, really, really quickly. Um, with Proverbs, you're learning to learn. That's what these little pithy sayings are about. Um, here's some of my favorite from the book of Proverbs. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. That's Proverbs 9.10. That could be a theme uh, for, for the whole book of Proverbs. It's like when you care about pleasing God, you learn things. I mean, if you really care, if you fear the Lord, you will learn wisdom. Because you'll, you'll, have, to make, you'll have to discern the difference between his ways and the way of the world. Uh, this is a, a good one from Proverbs 17. It is senseless to pay tuition to educate a fool since he has no heart for learning. I like that one for some of you college-age kids. It is senseless to pay the tuition for a fool since he has no heart for learning. If you're going to learn something, you've got to want to learn. And that's really what Proverbs are about. They're, they're learning to learn. It's a whole book about essentializing, about summarizing, about bullet pointing things that we have learned in the world. What you're doing with Proverbs is that you're developing a culture of learning things particularly things about God and moral lessons. One who has unreliable friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What this Proverbs is teaching you is that the people you hang around, the people by which you define yourself, make all the difference in the world. Have you invited anybody to your Ohana group lately? You were supposed to earlier in the service. But the people you hang out with have an effect on you. And if your friends are unreliable, your life will be unreliable. Right? But if your friends are good, I mean, there's a sort of friendship that really builds you up. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Now, that doesn't sound very fancy, but uh, there are uh, dozens of proverbs about laziness and, and hard work. The lesson of the book of Proverbs is think practically about faith and morality. Whatever you learn, figure out a way to put it into practice. I'm developing a, a culture of learning. Uh, I have a proverb on the back of the program uh, from Proverbs 4. I have seven verses. Uh, and what this is, is uh, at the beginning, the compiler of the book of Proverbs by tradition Solomon uh, is, is explaining their value. Listen, my son, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning, so don't forsake my teaching. 
for I too was a son to my father, still tender and cherished by my mother. Then he taught me, and he said to me, Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. Get wisdom. Get understanding. Do not forsake my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. I just love that line. I just love it. That may be my, my favorite line of the whole book of Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is this. Are you ready? Get wisdom. Learn. Incline yourself to learn something, to get it down, to hold on to it. Become that kind of person. And things will be so much better for you. Don't just like go through life from experience to experience stumbling into things. No, 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 no. Develop a map. We need to do this because the world is complicated. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Though it costs you all you have, get understanding. More important than teaching stuff is teaching how to learn stuff. you got to teach your kids how to learn. And if they learn how to learn, then they can learn anything. <laughs> right? That's really what this book uh, is, is about. Um, so... Um, not so very long ago, we did a sermon series on the book of Proverbs, and I made a big deal about developing your own personal Proverbs. Do you have those in life? Do you have little lessons that you've learned, that you've crystallized, that you've written down on a three-by-five card such that you could pass it on to your children someday, should you have them, or to your Hanai nephews and nieces? I mean, we all have kids in some way, shape, or form. Do you have that in your life? I am uh, a bit obsessive about personal proverbs. Uh, so here are some of my personal proverbs. Things that I've learned recently uh, or remembered <laughs> recently. And what I do is I take my smartphone and I, I have a, a note section that I call proverbs and I write down the line as I think of it. And then every once in a while I review them. What am I doing? I'm learning how to learn. This is my study habit for life. I'm constantly studying life. I'm trying to pass the tests. There are pop quizzes in life all the time, so I try to be ready. And this is what I'm doing. Some of my personal proverbs recently. Uh, true, feed, true freedom is not just freedom from something. It's freedom for something. God didn't set you free just to be free from sin. God sets you free to be free for purpose. I love thinking about it that way. Uh, don't mistake indulgence for freedom. You can tell I've been thinking a lot about freedom recently. I think in the world, when w the world talks about uh, individual rights and being free, often they think, just leave me alone to do what I want to do. You know, I'm free because I can indulge in whatever I want to indulge in, but of course that often leads to slavery, depending on what it is that you're indulging in. Freedom often looks like discipline not indulgence. You know, I think of the ballet dancer who is so incredibly disciplined that he or she just looks free, floating up there, you know. There's not an ounce of indulgence in that person's life, but man, what freedom they have. Life is often like that. The hallmark of the Lord's power is vulnerability. When you are powerful in the Lord, 
you'll often feel very vulnerability small and humble, and you will appear that way to people. You'll look small, but you'll be able to do great things. I think that's a great way also to evaluate uh, Christian leadership. You know, it's not just that the leader is powerful. Does the leader seem vulnerable and humble? And if not, stay away from that leader. The key to being the kind of person you want to be is to do the things you ought to do. That one doesn't sound very fancy, but I rehearse that, or my proverbs like that all the time. I want to be a certain way. That means I got to do what I got to do. I got to turn my, my shoulds, my oughts, I ought to do this into musts. I must do this. Um, the key to being the kind of person you want to be is to do the things you ought to do. Do small things, but do them massively. I encourage myself uh, with proverbs like that quite a bit. Commit fully, adjust frequently. <laughs> a great proverb, life, when your plans don't work out. You can see what I'm trying to teach myself is, is really how to keep at it. Uh, to, how not to get sidetracked. How to follow through every day. What kind of proverbs do you have? You know, write some down. They might not be ironclad scripture, right? They're not commandments. But they're really, really good pieces of advice that keep you uh, in the game. Takeaway for the day. Life needs best practices. Life needs tools. You need some methods to go about doing things. You can't just believe in things. You can't just have a vision for things. You have to have a way of going about things. Otherwise, you're stuck on spin. Now, one corollary to this is that the life of faith has a lot of space for learning and creativity. A lot of space for new songs and for Proverbs. Think about that for a minute. The life of faith has a lot of space for learning and creativity. The Bible says as much. I mean, you know, right smack in the middle of it, you get like songbooks and, you know, whole books of little practical things that people have learned and, and written down on scraps of paper. Lots of space for learning and creativity. I, I stress that because I think religion is often suspected of being very restrictive, isn't it? You know, it's just a bunch of rules, and if you buy into it, you can't do much. It's pretty, it's pretty restrictive uh, in that way. But the arc of the Bible demonstrates something entirely different. Life with God has never really been restrictive. And people who are serious about living the life of faith with God find that you have to constantly be learning. And you have to constantly be creating in creative ways, artistic ways, new ways. There needs to be a lot of inventiveness if you're living the life of faith. And that just characterizes the life of God in a way that I find true, but enormously helpful as well. The life of faith is, I mean, it's a thing that grows. Eventually, Jesus Christ would teach a lot of parables about this. He said the kingdom of God or the order of God is, is growthful in its nature. It's like a mustard seed that grows to be like the biggest tree in the garden. It's like a little piece of yeast that can change in a whole big dough of bread. You have all sorts of expressions of this. 
once you get plugged into the life of faith with God, you just become a productive and creative person. New things happen in your life. You're always taking ground. Or at least you should. If you're not, if you feel like you're not being creative, if you're not taking ground, if you feel like you're stuck on spin, then I humbly suggest to you, you probably need some best practices in your life. Let's start with an easy one. You probably need to become a better worshiper. Show up on time. Clap on two and four. Lift your hands, even if you do it the cool way. And what you'll find is your attitude shifts, and it becomes more expansive, more open. And that's one key to getting things going in life. You have to start with the attitude. Remember, faith uh, is, is an attitude. Sometimes we might wish the life of faith were restrictive. That, you know, it's just a checklist. Certain, certain things that we needed to check off because that's sort of, that's sort of safe and it's sort of simple, but, but that's not how it works. And I like it that in the arc of the Bible, you see the people of God realize this. You know what? You know what? It's not just about doing the religious festivals. We have to get on top of this. We have to always be learning. We have to always be creating and encouraging and express, expressing passionately. You see them learn that, and they learn it so well that they start collecting this stuff into books uh, that would become part uh, of the Bible. So it's, it's not a restrictive, safe, it's not a simple sort of checklist life in that fashion. It's creative. It's a life of constant learning. Question, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? How are you going to work learning into your life? How are you going to work creativity into your life? Not just what are you going to do, but how are you going to go about doing it? How will you do it? How? One of the, one of the most important questions in the life of faith. How? How many of you want to be an influence on the, on the people around you? Raise your hand up. How many of you want to be an influence on the people around you? How are you going to do it this week? 15 seconds. Write it down. If you don't answer that question, there's no point in answering my question. You want to be an influence? How? Write it down. If you can't write it down, whisper it out loud to your neighbor. And then let me ask a more specific question. How many of you want to be a passionate worshiper of God? I've made a case that that's vital. How many of you want to do it? If I'm asking you if you want to be a passionate worshiper, you can't go like this. Right? How many of you want to be a passionate worshiper of God? I'll give you a C. Um, how are you going to do that? How are you going to do it? One easy way is to lend your heart. 
to the music uh, that we offer or create uh, in church uh, because music is great for attitude. It's basically attitude with a beat. Lend yourself to that. Father God, I pray that you will make us practical people. I pray, Lord, that you will make us changeful people. I pray that you would work the kingdom into our lives in practical ways. Thanks, Lord, for speaking to us, and thank you for exercising us. In Jesus' name, amen.